Hello and welcome to the Supported Return to Training podcast on international medical graduates. On this episode, we will be talking about the differences IMG trainees may face in their training compared to where they have previously worked. This includes the use of a portfolio system. We also have some top tips for how, as to how to keep on top of your portfolio. And also on speaking up and escalating to your seniors, which some IMGs may struggle with in their initial transition into the NHS. Today, I have my colleague CJ. She's a GP trainee in the Pennine Scheme. CJ trained in the Middle East and moved to the UK four years ago. She started in a trust grade role in psychiatry down south and moved up to Halifax and Huddersfield for a GP training. She's currently in ST3 and she has a wealth of knowledge on IMG topics and often find other colleagues asking her for advice and help in their training program. I'm so pleased to welcome CJ. Hello. Welcome to the podcast and thank you for your time. Let's start off by asking you what your initial transition into the NHS was like four years ago when you first started. Hi, Ray. It was lovely being here and absolutely no problem. So I graduated in Oman um, in the Middle East. That's where I grew. And um, I started my, I actually did my medical training there. And that's where also I did my F1 year. Uh, the difference in training in the Middle East versus training in other countries is we don't have an option to do post-graduation there. So I worked as a GP, which is just a post-graduate job, and um, a doctor who also manages a and So it was like a part-time GP, part-time a and job for one and a half year. Um, at the same time, I cleared my PLAB 1 and then PLAB 2 the next year, and then I got my GMC registration Within two months of getting my GMC registration, I got my first job as a trust grade doctor in psychiatry. And then I ended up moving to Devon. That's really interesting. And I guess looking back, the process sounds so smooth sailing, but I imagine there must have been many challenges and sort of uncertainty relating to it. What were your biggest challenges in your first few years as, as working as a trust grade doctor? I guess the main thing about working is getting used to the systems in the NHS. Um, I think when I started here, um, I think it was a very good idea, firstly, to go as a trust grade doctor before starting training, because it really helped me familiarize myself with the NHS. Now, I deliberately chose a psychiatry job because I wanted to go into GP training. And where I did my primary medical qualification, we don't have a lot of exposure to psychiatry. And I knew from uh, reading online and from social media posts that we actually do have a lot of, um, we pay a lot of attention and we take a lot of care of our mental health in the UK. So for me, it was very important to get that experience in psychiatry. And what it basically gave me was, um, it was just like a stepping stone to the NHS. So maybe getting used to what a smart card is, uh, what a FOB is, the IT systems. Definitely we have different systems and different trusts, but just like how to do certain things like bloods, what are the responsibilities of a doctor, but, um, how we actually deal with the other healthcare stuff. Because where I come from, there is unfortunately a hierarchy And uh, sometimes you are supposed to be like, oh, you're the doctor. You just make all the decisions by yourself. While coming here, you realize it's quite a lot of help. There's a lot of shared decision making. The relationship with the consultants was very interesting because 
again, where I come from, you don't actually speak to the consultants. You actually just, you don't even, you can't say their name. So you have to right. always preface it with the doctor. Yeah. So that's okay. a problem I'm still dealing with because I still get told off by my CS or people like stop calling me doctor, but I cannot do it because it's so deeply ingrained in me. Mm-hmm. So even the relationship with the consultant, because I remember the first time a consultant called me and he's like, okay, so I was I had a lovely, lovely uh, supervisor who used to call me weekly just to check up on my mental health mm-hmm. and ask me how I was doing and if I was working good hours and if I wanted some extra. This used to happen weekly in the trust I was working in. And I was so shocked that somebody was checking up on me. <laughs> so for the first few times, I actually thought I had done something wrong. why is he calling me weekly what does he mean what does he mean by portfolio and then I realized it's just a part of the culture where they actually check up on the trainees even though I was a trust grade job he would he would call me he would explain to me about different things in psychiatry I didn't have any any experience with prescription of antidepressants um but after a year there you start getting a bit more comfortable there was so much support especially in my second half so the first six months of gone of course I was working for the crisis team there was a little bit of, oh, what is this? I didn't even know what crisis team was. I didn't know what place of safety was. I didn't know what mental health or like how it is dealt with in a proper manner. But I think that one year really helped transition me into the NHS. And that is when I, of course, uh, did my crest form, applied for training. And uh, this was my first choice. Halifax was my first choice. So what in here? Excellent. And where else would you, you know, where else in the UK would you like to be apart from Yorkshire, right? <laughs> I actually um I didn't know much so because I was in Devon and it was really warm and I'd come from a <laughs> desert country so the the logic I had was I had no idea about the training I literally went southwest the opposite to that is northeast this was the first place I saw and I had heard something about Sylvia Plath's grave being here and I'm a reader. So it was kind of like a weird thing. So the reason I got, I chose the Devon job, I had three job offers, but I chose there was, it was something to do um, with JK Rowling being from there or somewhere nearby or Agatha Christie was there. There was something at that time in my brain. So some author was from there. That's the reason I had chosen Devon. And I think it was a very similar process to come to Sylvia Plath. I just wanted to visit her grave, so I came to Halifax. And have you? Have you visited her grave? I have. have. Excellent. Well, Yorkshire's very lucky to have you. (laughs) Um, Gosh, it must have been so strange for you, you know, starting from from scratch in such such an unfamiliar environment. And, you know, that story you you said about, you know, your your supervising you, calling calling you on a weekly basis and sort of you responding to that in a, oh, have I done something wrong? It must have been such a different cultural change for you um, at the beginning, especially when you were in your trust grade role. And how do you think these challenges sort of changed when you when you started training? I think um, my process was made much easier by the best person we have. We have a lovely GP coordinator in the P9 scheme. And I, I never expected the amount of support I got from, uh, from the person. What basically happened was when I got into training, within 24 hours, I got an email and they introduced themselves and they said that, welcome to the training program. I understand you are in the opposite end of the country. If you need any help with moving, if you need any help in accommodation, please do tell. And within, I think, an hour, I had spoken to them on the phone 
So I had support from the get go. We have like the most oh, wonderful GP, yeah, from the most wonderful GP coordinator here. And after that, I was living with a lovely family. I was living as um, um, I had a room rented there, so I had a lovely family, a British family supporting me here. They actually dropped me off to Halifax in their car, and oh. since I came here, I know, and it was it was so nice and. Uh, then my coordinator was there to help me through the process of maybe settling down in Halifax. I lived in the hospital accommodation for a month before I could find a house because there was again challenges of finding a house. I didn't drive then. I think that one year of experience really helped me get into training more because when I was put say into my first rotation, which was an innovative training course, I knew a little bit about what it would be. I didn't understand any of it, what it meant until I started doing it, but at least a little bit of idea what uh, revalidation is, a bit of idea about how to use the NHS systems, what does the word supervisor mean, mm -hmm. what is the difference between an educational and a clinical supervisor, just very basic things. And of course, the next few things you learn as you go on the job, when they give you the orientation, when you speak to your seniors and your colleagues. So yeah, it, was, it, was, it wasn't a difficult process at all. There were challenges in the journey, but the starting wasn't as bad as I thought it would be. And we'll move on to talk about the, the the challenges you faced in your in your journey. But before we m move on to that, I, I guess I wanted to ask you, what would you say the main differences are that you have noticed in the training system and expectations we have here in a training program in the NHS compared to when you were working in the Middle East? So... Firstly, is the opportunity to train is very important because where I come from, I wasn't even given the opportunity, even if you want to train. And this is a very open system. It lets anybody who is, I think, uh, legible for that job. So you get to train, number one. That's the most important because you have the opportunity to train. Mm -hmm. The second thing is it's quite, it's an accredited system. The UK NHS system is one of the best in the world. It lets everybody have equal access to healthcare, irrespective of their socioeconomic, cultural background. So that was very important. And quality of care is very good. One of the main things was also the flexibility. So you have the option, for example, if you're struggling to go off one year, or you have the option to go to a trust grade job, or if you don't think your training program is right for you, you have the option to shift, which is not the same everywhere in the world. And I think the main attraction to, for me was the way when I when I started working here, the, the care I was giving to patients, like the amount of time I would spend not just addressing a particular need because I was so used to being one problem, one solution, and that's it. But I was never addressing the holistic care of the patient. But when I started working here, and especially psychiatry was wonderful for that, we actually spent like one and a half, two hours just talking to patients or working in crisis team where you actually went to their house and you... Mm -hmm looked at them in their own environment, you understood how that might be affecting them, removing the whole stigma of uh, mental health. Maybe basically it just taught, maybe it was going to teach me to be a better doctor and also address maybe the health and well-being of the patient, not just their physical symptoms. So it was quite attractive for a junior doctor. And I'm very much like, I'm a very sort of emotional person. I love taking care of my patients. It's their um, overall care attracts me more than a specific problem. So yeah, I think that was what attracted me and that was the difference with back home. Yeah, that's all really interesting points. And it sounds like general practice is 
is something that suits you very well. We've obviously, <laughs> you know, we're, we're trainees in the same scheme and we've previously spoken um, before over the course of our training. Um, and we've had our fair share of difficulties in different rotations. I was wondering if you would be able to speak of your experiences of speaking up um, and or escalating to seniors when you face challenges in the workplace. I think that was very interesting. And I think uh, you're aware of a couple of issues I did face during training. Mm. Um, I think coming from a very different background, especially where I come from, there's a lot of a barrier between um, firstly a doctor and their seniors. So you're not, you don't actually, so you face a lot of issues during your process of becoming a doctor, but you never speak up because there's that absolute barrier that you actually cannot say anything. And usually if you do speak up, there are repercussions against you. Uh, the challenges are worsened when you are from a certain ethnic background that is like Indian or specifically if you're a female. So there are many challenges I have faced growing up in certain places. Now, coming here, I still came with those inhibitions where I was like, okay, if I say something, will it affect my training? Because back home, there was a threat that they might take away my visa, my passport will be confiscated. There were things, there were a lot of repercussions to escalating situations or whistleblowing. Mm -hmm. When I came here, I came with those inhibitions. So when I did struggle in certain things, I really, really did not want to speak up. Even though I was struggling with my mental health, there was a point where I didn't want to train anymore. There were issues happening and I just dreaded going to work every day. The good thing was I spoke about it to certain colleagues who reassured me that this is not the way things go in the NHS. And there is a very clear escalation pathway that if you don't get help from one particular place, you can go and it's not them attacking you or attacking a person or correcting you, correcting a person. It's been trying to make the system better for others. And it was very interesting to come up to, uh, because I, I, when I learned about the escalation pathway, because I realized that there is a very specific way. It doesn't target anybody. It just tries to make things better for everyone. And when I look back at it, I realized that for the things I spoke up about, there were people for years and years going through it. But I think the fear again, are inner inhibitions, or if it doesn't affect me, why should I care? I should just go through this for six months and just move on. It kind of stopped everybody. So um, just to know that you will have somebody who will stand with you, of course, there is a local escalation. You can speak up to the people at work, especially if there's a person or a specific thing that's um, causing you any hindrance. If not, there's always your clinical supervisor. Now, if they're not supportive, you can always go to your educational supervisor and they are the best. I have one of the best educational supervisors, I believe, in the whole Excellent. scheme and absolute staff. Um, of course, they usually tell you to go to your TPDs. So making the TPDs aware, and that's usually where the where the train stops. Mm -hmm. But of course, if that is not the correct thing, there is the local dean you can go to. So each deanery has a has a local dean you can speak up to. And of course, if that doesn't work, there is a way to escalate it to GMC. So as we've learned very recently, you have to do your GMC surveys. It's not a mandatory thing. It's highly recommended because there is a part in the GMC survey where you can actually tick that I have underground discrimination, bullying, or any type of harassment. You can report it anonymously or you can give the exact name, place, date if you would like to give out those details. At the end of the day, it doesn't come back to you. It 
goes back to the organization where it might have happened and they really look into it and i actually went through the process mm-hmm. and i did notice changes which i was told by the future people who did work there mm-hmm. and i think when i came out of it it was like a deep breath of relief that i hadn't done anything wrong mm-hmm. i hadn't been punished for speaking up for something that was so traumatizing to me mm-hmm. and in the long term when i heard from other people that it helped them that was like the biggest achievement out of the whole thing wow that's really powerful thank you for sharing that i think we we spoke a few times when you were sort of going through a, a difficult time and I, and i saw how how hard it was on you and and well done you for for working through that what I'm really glad to hear is the fact that the the culture that we have in the nhs where we sort try to not blame other people I guess, do, do you feel that helped create a safe space for you and gave you the confidence to speak up? Definitely it did because it has to be a system change. It has, mm. it, it's never one person that would make the whole thing go down. It's it's usually, I would say, um, I love aviation. So they always talk about the Swiss cheese effect in the aviation industry. So if something goes wrong, it's usually not one thing that fails. It's a couple of things that fail for a disaster to happen. Um, (laughs) I love that analogy because it's usually when you think back on any event that's gone wrong, it's never one thing. It's like a couple of things that go against you. Hmm. And just to know that everything else was also getting addressed, not just that one person was getting reprimanded and then nothing, that, that doesn't help anybody. But if everybody understands that, if, okay, we all went through this, this has come up as one of the concerns from a colleague, how about we make the system better? I think that actually also helps people who, it, because you will escape that situation, you're, you're a trainee, you'll leave after six months or one year, but somebody else will be in your place. So just to make it better for everybody else. Definitely. And that's a really positive view about it. And hopefully future IMGs hear this and be empowered by, by your story as well. Seeing that we're both GP trainees, I guess we have to finish off by talking about the portfolio. I understand that a portfolio being part of training isn't something that that you started off with in the Middle East. And I I wanted to know what it was like for you getting used to training with a portfolio. That was was quite interesting. I've never done a portfolio. I didn't know what it was. I remember when we started, we got an orientation on, oh, you have a 14 fish access. And I was like, what is that? And I think there was a lot of trial and error Mm -hmm. in understanding what or how a portfolio is done. I think the main thing is there's so many aspects we can go on and on about just the portfolio part is that every, every ask for help, every CS and ES are different. Everybody doesn't want it in the same way. Some people just want you to write certain things. Some people just want you to write briefly. So understand what the expectations are or if, if it's not individualized, maybe understanding how they want it nationally to be done. Mm-hmm. Ask for help. If you don't know how to do a portfolio, I asked for many, many people's help. I used to just go and ask, is this the thing you want from me in my portfolio? That's fine. And my CS and ES were lovely. Understanding you don't have to summarize anything in the portfolio. It's not, you don't have to just say, oh, I saw this one and this happened and this happened. No, it's a learning log. So maybe mm-hmm. what you learn from the case instead of, Uh, making it a summary of all the cases you've seen go a little bit above the bare minimum just in case something goes wrong so you have extra cases you don't have to rush at the last moment and 
make use of your PDP's time. It doesn't have to be clinical. If you think there's something you want to learn in those six months or 12 months, make that your PDP and it'll make your process much easier. One of the main things I would say about portfolio is socialize. Specifically, if you're looking for feedback, don't stay by yourself. That really helps when you do a colleague feedback. Mm-hmm. And it's very doable. However, language might be an issue you might face. So if you think that we're getting some feedback with maybe the clinical supervisor, education supervisor think there's some language barrier there or something is happening, maybe ask your colleagues for help. Maybe speak to somebody. Just make sure somebody else also casts an eye on it instead of just feeling bad about yourself because most of us IMGs, our first language is not English. Mm-hmm. We come here, we are getting used to the most posh English, I would say in a way. <laughs> Yorkshire has a very different accent. So maybe asking, I think the main thing is ask for help and it's not it's not that big of a deal. You can usually finish it off if you do very well by the third, fourth month in the rotation. Excellent. All very, very good tips. So I guess we're coming towards the end of this episode and I would like to finish off with a few questions. And the first one would be, what would be your top tips and advice for new or incoming IMGs? Okay, three tips or advice to them. Number one is that you're not alone. Speak up, speak to people around you. There are always many, many people in training who are going through the same thing. So just know that you're not in this alone, even if you immigrated by yourself or with your family. Hmm. Uh, Other two are definitely going to be about whistleblowing and repercussions. If you go through the IMG group on Facebook and you always read about things happening and people feeling bad about it, if you think something has happened, speak up. Don't worry just about the repercussions. There's always somebody to help you around. And if you think you're struggling with your training, the last one, it's not the end of the world. GP training is so well done over here. You have options, you have out of program, you have less than full time. There is a way out. And even if you want to leave, there is always somebody to support you to either leave training or even come back to training if you want to come back. So it's not the end of the world if you're struggling with training. It's okay. We can do it. Excellent. It is true. GP training is very flexible and that's definitely one of its beauties. Um, The next question is, what advice do you have for educators to IMG colleagues who have recently transitioned into the NHS? So I'm I'm sort of referring to CSs, sorry, clinical supervisors, educational supervisors, TPDs. Um, I think one of the main ones is that we are aware because I think it there's so much emphasis on the passing rate between IMGs and passing rate between the British colleagues. We are aware of the differences and we are more scared than you of failing because we have a very unforgivable culture growing up about which comes and relates to failure. So I think there's a whole thing about, oh, let's, there's a lot of scare tactics I've heard from different, different people about, you know, oh, you're going to fail because of these things. But we are aware those, those barriers are acknowledged. Second thing is, I think I would say that each student or each trainee is different and they might be at a different stage in their life. So I'd say exams are important, but not the main thing in everybody's life because everybody has different priorities. The one model might not fit everybody because if they are like, oh, do your this exam this year and this exam this year, it might not fit everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the last one is just to understand that we all have language barriers and uh, different accents. So I've, I've heard sometimes people feel a bit hurt because they're told off about the words they use. But just to understand that we're all trying. We all have done our IELTS and TOEFL or OET, whatever it is. You're trying our best in English. Just give us a little bit of break. 
Yeah, definitely. I can see how it would be really difficult whenever, you know, you're working or typing and there's just constantly Google Translate going in and out of your head. Um, that must be so difficult. And the last question is, what advice do you have to general members of staff in the NHS who would be working closely with IMG colleagues? I think the first one is just to be kind with them. They are very scared when we come into the system. I can say all of us are terrified because it's a new country. It's a new sort of healthcare. There's not familiar faces around us. So I, I always say just, just, be, just be kind. I know everybody is, but just like if somebody thinks that, okay, you know, this is maybe a senior registrar coming in, they might not be aware. Believe me, all of us are equally scared because it's still a new system. I think second thing is if they see something going wrong, maybe just tell us because sometimes it's it's not the intention. It's a communication gap or maybe we are not used to the system. So we might be doing it maybe how we were doing it back home. Like, for example, when I came here, I realized you don't intubate patients by yourself. <laughs> you have to call the anesthetist and over there, I'm, you're just yeah. ready. Cardiac arrest happens. You're an you're F1. You are intubating. But over here, you're like, okay. Don't intubate the patient. And um, lastly, just clarify if you want to ask, if you think something, if you've said something wrong, just ask us what we meant because there's a lot of communication gaps. Um, mm. For example, biggest one, we call nurses, sisters, and uh, male nurses, brothers back home. God right. forbid I say the word sister and brother over here because it'll just go down. There's there's a whole there's a whole cultural difference you're still dealing with. I'm mm. still dealing with the doctor thing. I call everybody doctor. So I have no that. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's that's really fantastic advice. Thank you so much for your time, CJ. Uh, it's been it's been great having you as our first guest, and hopefully we can speak to you again. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you for having me, and it was lovely chatting with you. Hello again, and thank you for listening to this podcast. The introduction and ending music is called Happy Day by Stock Music and was obtained from Pixabay. I would appreciate any feedback from you as a listener. Please complete the feedback form in the link attached to this episode and feel free to drop me an email or reach out via Twitter. I'm looking forward to hearing from you and I hope you have found this episode valuable in improving your knowledge around topics relating to international medical graduate doctors and their transition into the NHS. Goodbye for now. Mm -hmm.